Hey, this is Nick here. I wanted to send a quick message to the founders out there. If you're raising your first round of capital and you're not located in the Bay Area, New York City, or Boston, we'd love to connect with you. Newstack leads deals for founders that don't fit the standard Silicon Valley profile and are located in undercapitalized areas. If that describes you, or if you know a startup that fits that description, please send us an email. It's team at newstack.vc. Now here's a word from our partners. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Welcome back to The Full Ratchet. On today's special segment of Investor Stories, the investors address industry trends, sectors, and markets that they think are positioned for outsized returns in the future. This is the segment called What's Next? On today's special segment, we have Eric Gasser. Eric, are there any big sector changes and or thermals that you feel may materialize in the next few years that could significantly impact the way we do things? If so, can you select one or a couple and talk about what you see coming and the impact it may have? There's two verticals that I think are kind of controversial. One is the connected concept of everything being connected, and we'll use it as macro connectivity, kind of matrix style, controlling a phone from 5,000 miles away. But what most people don't know is somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 to 92% of all global networks aren't connected to an IP network. So there's a lot of people working on this problem. There's a company that San Diego Business Journal wrote up on last month. It was an investment that Seed San Diego made in a small company based here in San Diego that's actually trying to solve this problem. What exists now in the marketplace is a hardware solution. So you have to take a legacy network. If you really think about it, all the street signs, all of the lights, city infrastructure, power grid, I mean, a lot of these things aren't actually IP enabled because they were built so long ago. So one of the problems is being able to take those networks and control them, not necessarily remotely, but be able to manage how they function. And so there's companies that work on this from a hardware perspective, and they're all the big hardware server makers, right? And we don't have to name them. But the bigger problem is that's a huge cost. So if you go to the city of San Diego and say, oh, by the way, we can fix your blackout problems, but you're going to have to spend $2 billion over three years to fix this and rip up a bunch of roads. There's companies out there solving this solely from a software layer, and that is amazing. So I think city infrastructure and the ability for us to keep things connected and the value that comes from that data is something that is underestimated on its value and how it can actually change the world. I look at that sector from a macro perspective, not a how do I fix the 911 system, but how do I fix it so that when the San Jose Police Department's radios go down, which happened a few months ago, why didn't a whole bunch of red lights go off? Why didn't IT guys' phone just start lighting up? But I'll tell you, when it goes down for a long period of time and people are hurt, then it's a problem. So that's one thing I think is interesting and a problem that's worth solving. 
The next one revolves around how the macro environment of just stuff is created in the perspective of going into those stores in the mall where it's just full of plastic. You walk in and you're like, the whole store is plastic. It's just all plastic. And I've been in the middle of the ocean where there's just like huge pools of trash and there's like masses of problems. I really think that's one that we can solve. I think it revolves around a combination of 3D printing and some sort of the ability to reuse and, uh, and repurpose things. Give you an example. Maybe you buy filament, you run it through a printer, you make a cell phone case. Great. Well, what happens when your kid breaks the case? Well, now you grind it up, make more filament, and run it through the machine again and print another one. That would cut down on masses amount of waste. It would fundamentally change the way the retail system works. And I really believe that there's a shift happening and it's subtle. It's so subtle that I think it's being missed. And most people talk about how that impacts retail and domestic output and all those things, but I'm less worried about that. I'm more worried about what companies kind of can impact that ecosystem and change it for the better and what revenue channel is going to be key. Some argue it's selling the files. Some argue it's selling high quality printers. And I think it's still too early to know, but it's one that people should be looking out for. On today's special segment, we have Jonathan Struhl of Indicator Ventures. Jonathan, are there any big sector changes, thermals, or trends that you see on the horizon? And if so, can you select a couple that may have significant impact and or are positioned for outsized growth? I believe in virtual reality. A lot of investors shy away from it because it's the unknown right now. There's no, there's nothing really out there yet to buy for a consumer. There's some dev kits, Oculus is out, you can sort of buy the, the DK1, DK2. But at the end of the day, we're still early in the virtual reality movement. There's a lot of money pouring into entertainment and media as it pertains to virtual reality, consumer-focused stuff. I'm a big believer in the enterprise use cases. What are the use cases for virtual reality outside of gaming? Outside of movies and entertainment, a company that we just invested in, a company called Iris VR, is tackling virtual reality for architecture, engineering, construction, design industry. So being able to do a virtual walkthrough of a building or a space pre-construction, being able to iterate uh, within a virtual reality experience is really important. We believe that virtual reality will have other uses outside of, of gaming, and we believe it'll happen sooner than everyone else thinks. The headsets are at a decent price point. Sometimes cheaper than a cell phone, right? Oculus is going to come out between three and $400 and Samsung and HTC and the rest of the VR headsets that are coming out are going to be a reasonable price point. And that'll help consumer adoption. So really interesting to see the enterprise business use cases for virtual reality. I think another one that I'm really interested in is crowdfunding. Obviously, Kickstarter, Indiegogo have established themselves as a leader in crowdfunding. And it's not crowdfunding specific. It's crowdfunding for anything that you really want to crowdfund. I'm a big believer in hardware companies crowdfunding their projects before they release. It Essentially, I look at it as a pre-order before it's built. Now, the proliferation of mobile, people are going to start pre-ordering or crowdfunding on their mobile devices. It's becoming more socially acceptable. Hardware companies are getting insane dollars raised through crowdfunding. And it's really proof point for VCs. I know a lot of people believe that it's technically not a real indication that the hardware will be adopted by you know the masses, but crowdfunding in specific industries. So one of our portfolio companies is a company called Inkshares. 
It's essentially crowdfunded book publishings. So we believe the book publishing industry is broken. You have a couple of the large book publishers deciding who gets a publishing deal. Yep. Now, what if you open that up to the masses and say, well, instead of these older guys sitting at their offices deciding who gets published, why don't we let the crowd do it? And essentially what InkShares has built is an incredible platform where enthusiasts can come on and essentially crowdfund or pre-order a book before it's even created. And then once the book hits its funding goal, InkShares then helps them edit it, market it, illustrate it if needed, and then publishes it. And they have great partnerships with some of the largest in each class. So crowdfunding for specific use cases, like book publishing, I think will start to take off. Esports is a big deal. A lot of people uh, laugh at it. A lot of people shine away from it. Esports is essentially gaming, video games, essentially, right? League of Legends, Dota. You look at Twitch, which was acquired by Amazon for close to a billion dollars. Who would have thought that people would come and, and go online and watch other people playing video games? It's unbelievable. Now, it hasn't taken off as much in the US as it has in other places like Asia, Europe, specifically Australia. And they're packing stadiums with people watching professional esports leagues. Somewhere around 200 plus million people watched esports last year. That's more than the Super Bowl. And that's just growing, especially as the gaming population starts to get older and the young guns start to spend a lot of time in their rooms playing video games. There's, there's a real industry there. There's a huge opportunity. Yeah, I saw a pitch recently from a game-oriented startup that was featuring this PewDiePie guy who apparently is the most watched gamer, and he's clearing millions a year just on recording and publishing his game experience. It's unbelievable. I watch ESPN all the time, and I was on ESPN2, and they were showing League of Legends game, and the announcers were passionate. It was just fascinating to watch. I'm not such a big gamer myself, but Watching on ESPN2, other individuals across the world playing in this professional League of Legends match and pack stadium going nuts. It was eye-opening, and we will start to see a lot more of that. Interesting. It's like the new form of entertainment. It is. It's a little scary, but it's also very exciting. At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com forward slash investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Today's special segment, we have Rob Day of Black Coral Capital. 
Rob, are there any big sector changes and or thermals that you feel may have significant impact in the coming years? And if so, can you select one or a couple and talk about what you see coming and the impact it may have? I think by far the biggest innovation that's going to hit both project finance and venture capital is that we're figuring out how to finance smaller distributed assets. I don't think a lot of people realize how radical a change that is for both types of verticals. If you look at venture capital, we're used to backing something that is going to be scalable, but it's going to be scalable because it has a lot of network effects and you code it once and then a whole bunch of people can buy it and download it, something like that. If you look at project finance, it's how can we take every ounce of risk out of building this one individual project? If we're going to take all that time and effort to do so, then we need to do it for singular big projects one at a time. What's happening right now, thanks to just the emergence of smaller distributed hardware manufacturing techniques and building an automation, you know, all of the good stuff that's happening and, and lots of other stuff that has nothing to do with clean tech, but just smaller, smarter hardware. That's allowing us to put stuff out into the field that is clean tech, that does have compelling payback periods, that will run itself, where at very least doesn't require a lot of hands-on maintenance and the like. Whether that's rooftop solar panels or whether that is a small-scale wastewater treatment plant being distributed out you know, at a mining location or whether that is a fleet of electric vehicles for a corporate fleet where they're basically rolling computers now and can report back how they're doing and, and how they're being driven and the like. All of these are just examples of individual projects and implementable hardware devices that the project finance world and venture capitalists have gotten trapped into financing through the corporate equity stack, which becomes very expensive. The venture capital math does not work very well when you start talking about project pools that you must finance through that are in the tens of millions of dollars. And so what I really think is going to be exciting across all of these areas is as we start to take the lessons learned from rooftop solar and realize that these are actually pools of assets and that we assess them in different ways. We assess the risks in different ways. Uh, we figure out how to do all the nuts and bolts around contracting and everything else necessary to take all that risk out of it. But we finance it through project finance type structures alongside venture capital structures. We have the luxury of being able to do that ourselves and not having to pair two different approaches you know, across two different organizations, but write both those checks ourselves. We've seen it's really powerful for unlocking the ability of those platforms to then bring in Wall Street capital as follow-on project and implementation funding. And that's going to drive a lot of scaling of these types of solutions. Yeah, I was recently talking with a, a friend of mine, an entrepreneur, and shout out to Rich Baltimore, but founded a company. Basically, they are creating an energy plant attached to big industrial facilities in areas where the cost of natural gas to run the plant fluctuates wildly. And so this little energy plant that sits right next to it, uh, sort of a symbiotic relationship, is a methane plant. So they bring in chicken litter. You know, he's got a, a map basically of concentrated chicken areas also correlated with these fluctuating and high energy natural gas cost areas. And he's figured out a way to bring this chicken litter into the methane plant and produce a very predictable energy source. And then he also has a byproduct. The byproduct is a saleable fertilizer. So I'd never come across anything quite like that, but it's more of this project-based approach that you've articulated. 
Yeah, it's very true. There's a lot of stuff here as well that people just don't think about as being a technology solution when they think about what they're going to be working with. That's one great example of where you can apply smart technology and also intelligence from an IT perspective to being able to automate something like that and make it run for profitability. But the other thing about it is once you start building those out in great volume, how are they going to be financed? And that's what I'm pointing to as being the area that I think is going to be really exciting because the first couple of those deployments probably have to be financed from his startup, from their balance sheet. Right. Um, but they can't do all of them like that unless they can raise hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, billions of dollars valuation. Wall Street isn't going to necessarily just wake up one day and decide to invest in those unless somebody shows them how to do it. <laughs> if you're asking the customer to do it, then you're basically making a big expensive CapEx request and there's your long sales cycle. How do you unlock that? Well, you figure out how to deploy special purpose vehicles for financing them in really smart ways where it's an easy handoff then for Morgan Stanley to come in for the second such project pool because they know exactly how it's going to work and the structure completely works for them, the contracts work for them, et cetera. Yeah, maybe sometime offline I can pick your brain about the types of financing vehicles and structures that you use for these deals. Yeah, it's a lot easier said than done, but it's worth the effort. That will wrap up this installment of Investor Stories. Head over to thefullratchet.net to leave a comment, sign up for the newsletter, or find resources discussed on any of the episodes. Until next time, remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.